This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 91. Today's episode is all about tech addiction and how to tech detox. We are the first generation, and I don't mean generation by age, I just mean generations of all of these five living generations together, to have to deal with this level of essentially psychological and emotional warfare that was placed upon us without our real consent. Even though there's been technology that has changed the world, going back to the beginning of time, it's never been like this, right? We have been rewired without our choice in the matter. And it's not as simple as, hey, I'll just rewire myself back. It's actually understanding that this is a gift in life and a gift in the moment for you to change the course of the future. The future is yours to define, and it's your opportunity. This is why it's a gift. It's your opportunity to define it on your terms. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Have you tapped the subscribe button yet? More subscribers means even better guests and even more value. Plus, it helps grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone can use a little more mind love. Hi, friends and wild people. So I have a confession. I have been addicted to technology for over a decade. I used to design apps, so I prided myself on having so many apps on my phone. No joke, I had over a thousand at one time, and even right now I have about 500. Crazy, right? But I convinced myself that sometimes the interface was better in an app, or why not be able to just do whatever you need to do straight from your phone? And yes, there are a lot of benefits to that, but guess what? There are a lot of downsides that I'm just allowing myself to come to terms with now. So the last few weeks, I'm kind of in an interim. I had just finished up a few things I'd been working on. I had some summer travel planned, and now I'm back in the swing of things. And historically, during these between times, I've always gone through a little bit of a lull. And usually that makes me realize, okay, get back to your structure, start planning out the next phase, figure out what you need to do and take action. Well, the problem was I was having so much trouble focusing on the next action. And then I met a man at an event that was the catalyst to my most recent transformation that I'm really, really excited about right now. And that man is going to be our guest today. His name is Brian Solis. And at this event, he was talking about his journey from being tech addicted to the realization to the change. And I thought in my head, that is exactly what I needed to hear right now. And Brian is actually a data analyst that has worked with a lot of these app companies to help improve their persuasive technology. So he really does know firsthand how it works. Well, one day he realized that, guess what? All this stuff that he had been working on to help persuade people to use technology more had actually created a very real problem for him personally. So I grabbed his book and I started reading. 
well, I started trying to read. I realized that I hadn't actually sat down and read a book in quite a while. I've been living the audiobook life. I've got too much stuff to do. I'm always going somewhere. I only have time to listen to books is what I would tell myself. So when I sat down to read and damn near couldn't, I was kind of mind blown. Reading used to be one of my favorite things to do. But now when I was starting to read, all of a sudden I realized somehow I was magically scrolling through my phone again. Well, a little over a week ago, I had what I keep calling a dark night of the soul. I was in a sound bath yoga class and something hit me and it was so intense. I was having these visualizations of just completely wasting my life. And I'm not used to going to that dark of a place. So something about it just really shook me to the core. I really think it was divine intervention. Well, the very next morning I woke up and I had made a commitment to myself to do things differently. And in the last eight or nine days, I've actually cut my technology use down 86%. I am not exaggerating. And that is embarrassing. If you would have told me this was going to happen months ago, I really would have thought that cutting down my phone usage that much, I'd somehow be missing out on something. Like, what's that about? Phone FOMO? Is that a thing? Phone mo? <laughs> phone mo. But really, we're all kind of being manipulated to think that way. That's how these apps and social media platforms are designed. But surprisingly, the exact opposite happened. I have been happier this week than I've been in a really long time. I've been clearer. I've been more creative. I've been 10 times more productive. And it feels really good. So today, Brian's talking to us about the effects of emerging technology on our brains. It affects our productivity, our creativity, and ultimately our happiness. If you still need a bit of convincing before we get started, let me just give you a few crazy stats. 10 years ago, the average attention span was three minutes, and now it's 45 seconds. You guys, that's like an average housefly. If you aren't spending 25 minutes to two hours working on a project at a time, you're actually killing your concentration for the long term. Always checking our phone is like we're constantly multitasking, and multitasking decreases our productivity by 40%. And it generally takes 23 minutes and 15 seconds to return to work after you're distracted. If you have employees, realize that most employees spend two hours out of an eight-hour day just checking their smartphones. And all of this has real effects on our happiness. Teen suicide rates are now even greater than homicide rates in the United States, which has never been the case before. So yes, it's a real problem that we need to address. But the bright side is, fixing it might be faster than you think. So today, three key things we will learn are how technology is designed to manipulate us and the consequences of that, steps to live with more intention once we free up all that time from numbing, and how to reclaim our focus to find flow. Plus, stick around for the end because I'm going to share with you some little behavior hacks and free tools that have really helped me break my addictive patterns and take back control over my time. I'm not sure I would have been able to accomplish this without these things. So stick around for that. Real quick, have you signed up for the morning mind love yet? Sometimes waking up on the right side of the bed can be a little difficult. The morning mind love delivers short messages to your inbox with a thought or a tip to start each day on a positive note. I get messages from people every single day about how the morning mind love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. 
Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a really cool booklet of powerless to help you gain clarity and live with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Brian Solis to the show. Well, thank you, Melissa. So I just completed your book and I found it fascinating, but I really connected with you when I heard you speak at an event that we were at. So give us a brief background on why life scaling and really in particularly tech detoxing was so important to you. Well, okay. A couple of things. One is that um, just to kind of dive right into it. My life was incredibly disrupted when I was trying to write what would have been my eighth book, and I couldn't get past the proposal stage, and that was sort of a a new experience for me. Uh, you know, you figure that you know, going into eight books, I'd probably have the the whole process you know down by <laughs> by now. The distance between the book before it was about three years, and and before that it was about two years, and. What I ended up learning about myself in that process, uh, you know, just kind of keep a long story short, was that my ability to dive into deep flow, to spark creativity, to engage critical thinking was completely compromised. And I didn't know why. I initially thought it might have just been writer's block. But after a whole bunch of research, uh, I had found that the very technology I helped launch over the last 15 years specifically in terms of social networks, apps, games, devices, that these things that I helped launch, these things that I helped study, that I advised, I ironically became affected by them. And so what LifeScale became was sort of this journey I went on to fix myself it was not a book I intended to write. Never, never saw it in my cards. And it only became a book because I thought if I'm going through all of these things, trying to figure out how to fix my life and trying to get to a level of creativity and focus that I couldn't do otherwise, then maybe I'm not alone. And maybe this should be something that I share with everybody. Yeah, I think we, a lot of us can relate to that. A lot of times how we end up helping other people first starts with how we needed to help ourselves. That's basically what inspired me to launch Mind Love. And what intrigued me the most when I was really learning about how these apps are designed to be addictive, it's like they're, they're designed not to just capture our attention, but also the idea that we're subconsciously trying to win something when we open an app. So can you talk a little bit about how these apps really do take more of our attention than we realize? Oh, yeah. Well, in this world, attention is currency. And it is how these apps and networks monetize their products and services. So the more of our attention that they have, the more of it that they can sell against. And they do quite a good job at it, actually. Uh, So what their trick is, is to constantly get you to use the service, but not just consume, also 
share more and more and more of your life, more of who you are. Because the more you do that, the more that this content is not only giving other people something to consume, but it's also telling them more and more about you so that they can sell more things to you. So this is done by a series of techniques which fall under the umbrella of persuasive design. And it's a very popular method for design that isn't just for tech, by the way. It's also used in gambling and gaming because it changes your behavior intentionally. It manipulates you to feel like you need to give more of yourself to that, whatever that experience is. And it has both a dark side and a good side. Uh, so just as a quick example, I use the same technique in the design of the book to give people a positive experience as they were turning the pages and to also promote retention instead of just kind of trying to manipulate people to, well, I guess, spend more time in the book. I wanted them to spend more time getting something out of the book. So one of the techniques is called variable intermittent rewards. And you talked about sort of that, that sensation to win. So if you open Instagram or Twitter or whatever your favorite app is, one of the little design tricks that they do is they, a millisecond before you see, for example, how many notifications you have. It's designed to create a sense of subconscious anxiety. It definitely rouses your chemicals in a whole bunch of different ways. And then the minute you see a number, you feel like you've won. And that sense of relief becomes not only something that you feel great about, but it's also something that becomes part of an addiction cycle. One of the many that they've designed to keep you coming back into those services. And so while the design technique, let's just say that there was no malicious intent behind it, or we could at least assume that, What's important to understand is that regardless of intent, it, is, it does have incredibly negative effects on our brains, our body, our psyche. And that research is now just starting to be done. But that while that research is being done and while that damage is being done, these techniques are still not only being deployed in new apps and services, things like machine learning and artificial intelligence are taking it up to the next level. So we, we haven't seen anything yet. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. 
But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I remember when you said that Netflix's biggest competitor is sleep. I couldn't help but kind of feel angry. So I was mulling it around in my head and realizing that, you know, it's easy to decide that the intent of these things is almost evil. But really what it is, is we have to realize that if we aren't intentionally creating our lives, we're going to be on autopilot and our time might be served towards someone else's purpose or someone else's profit is really what it is. So it's not necessarily evil. It's just that maybe Netflix decided to create something. Their mission is to entertain the world or something like that. And their best way to do it is through these services to keep our attention. But the payback or the payoff for us is that suddenly we, our attention is going towards Netflix's purpose instead of our own, right? Oh, yeah. In fact, I, I don't know why my brain just wandered as you were talking about profit. And I said, I was thinking, you know, are you down with OPP, other people's profit? Absolutely <laughs> not. It's not at, you know, not at my expense. And that I think that intentionality, if, 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 if now that we know, my point of life scaling was now that you know, that this is happening. What are you going to do about it? And that's that's really what this comes down to is that, you know, look, at the end of the day, they're free services. No one's no one's making us use them. Design aside, there's a reason why we do it. And I think that one of the biggest aha moments in this whole process was realizing that it was less of a technology story and more of one that was deeply personal. Why do I feel the need to share? Why do I feel the need for that external validation, that constant external validation? And these were questions that I had to answer for myself. No, no designer was going to be able to, to answer those questions. Zuckerberg wasn't going to be able to answer those questions. They just figured out how to create a platform that facilitated that and made it more and more and more seemingly valuable to us as, as human beings. The thing that really moved me was those reflections around why am I not happy with who I am and the way that I was living my life before all of this stuff? And what about this engagement? What about this sharing? What about this feedback is so exhilarating and intoxicating that I can't live without it? And then more importantly, how is it subconsciously affecting the way that I make decisions about my life? And what I had found was both disturbing, but also inspiring in that I had identified that the more I use these things over the years, the more that my center of reference was changing. So I was actually making decisions about my life based on the moment that I was manipulated to feel like that was everything, that those moments were what life was all about, only to take a step back to say, wow, I actually was not thinking about my long-term value, my long-term happiness, my long-term identity. I was just making decisions that, I guess, like everyone, that felt the like the best thing in the moment. I want to share a, a quote with you from a startup out of Los Angeles that is sort of building the next generation social networks. And 
this should disturb everyone, but more importantly, to show just how far we're going to keep moving from our center of reference. And that quote is that we use artificial intelligence and neuroscience to increase your usage. We try to make apps more persuasive. It's not an accident. It's a conscious design decision. We're designing minds. The biggest tech companies in the world are always trying to figure out how to juice people. And when you referenced the Netflix quote earlier, that's uh, what's also disturbing is that the CEO, Reed Hastings, actually said that on a shareholder call. He said that our greatest competitor is sleep. And then he followed it up with, and we're winning. So (laughs) all of these apps and all of these services are all trying to compete and all use technology in ways to get you in their service. But the effects that it has on your brain and body and psyche, but also the decisions that you're making about your life are profound. And that's where I needed to take control. It wasn't about abandoning technology because I'm not giving up my phone. I am going to design my mind and my brain and my body in a way that's going to be most beneficial because of my relationship with technology, not because the way that they designed it. Yeah, that's so true. And there was a quote in your book that really grabbed my attention. And it was that there are two ways to inspire or to influence behavior, to manipulate it or to inspire it. And it got me thinking about, you know, as I build my own platform, I want to be inspiring behavior. You know, that's a line for me that I don't necessarily want to cross, but I used to help design apps. And so I know how those (laughs) things work and how even, you know, playing with colors and lighting and the way notifications work are designed to manipulate behavior. But when I was in that role, it's not like I was necessarily thinking along those lines. I was just thinking, how can I make this product successful? So I get where there's a fine line when you're creating on which one you're basically going to use to try to outdo your competitors. But I'm wondering, so we're in this place where I was finding it really, really difficult to focus at all, which is why it felt like it was divine intervention when I met you. So I got your book and I remember starting to read it because I realized, yes, I definitely have a tech addiction. I spend so much time on my phone. I was convincing myself that, you know, I do do a lot of my work on my phone. I create graphics on my phone. It's part of what I have to do to engage with my audience. So to me, I was really justifying my behavior. But I couldn't help but notice that sometimes I would be doing something productive and then all of a sudden I would just be toggling through apps like very quickly to where nothing's actually being done in any of the apps. And I was like, I just launched Twitter four different times in a three minute period. Like there's no point in that. So I really started to think my brain was broken. (laughs) And so even trying to read your book, I couldn't sit there for more than a few minutes until I had this like dark night of the soul and something flipped in me and I completely changed my habits last week, brought down my phone usage by 86%, which is crazy. So I'm wondering, where did you start when you realized, okay, there's a problem here. I'm addicted. What was your first step in making a change? Well, thank you for sharing that with me because, you know, it means we're not alone. I felt incredibly alone when I was figuring all of this stuff out. And the problem is, is that this is normal to everybody. One of the jokes that I had around the launch of LifeScale was, how do you sell a book about distraction to people who don't know that they're distracted? Because it's just how people live life. 
the thing that moved me was I didn't know I was distracted. I had to write a book. So I had a life event that was <laughs> weighing over me. And that in my world, as a business author, right, this is my first personal book. As a business author, my whole career depends on sort of the the idea that's presented in a book. And so I had this a great sense of urgency to do something about this. So how I forced new behavior was what I called attention hacks. So what didn't work were things like, believe it or not, in that moment, they are helpful tools now, but things like meditation, things like practicing mindfulness, those things were only treating the symptoms at the time, not because I had an intentional usage of them to solve a problem. So the idea of solving the problem then became about rewiring what was already rewired. And to do that takes incredible discipline, but you can't just jump into it because you're totally, it's not as simple as a control alt delete. The attention hacks that I started to teach myself were as simple as I think one of them was the Pomodoro technique, which was to be able to force some type of creative sprint or some type of focus sprint for a finite amount of time to train your body to focus distraction-free. The Pomodoro technique was a bit ambitious to start with. I I recommend something different, creative sprint starting in something like 10 minutes. Uh, Pomodoro is 25 minutes. And the reason is that when you're going to sit down for 10 minutes or 25 minutes, whatever it is, you're going in with a very intentional mindset of I'm going to create or I'm going to do something right now. And at the end of this, this is what it's going to look like. So you're getting yourself prepared for it. You go to the bathroom, you get your coffee, you do whatever you need to do. You put your phone in the other room, you close email, you close all of those tabs that you have open on your browser. And you just do that moment. To be honest, you're not going to make it (laughs) the first time or the second time. I think the first time I tried it, I I got in about three minutes. And I reached for my phone that wasn't there. I didn't even need anything from it. It was just like muscle memory, like just doing that. So it was an eye-opening experience. But essentially what you're doing is you're hacking your body to be able to focus. And you do it. And you keep doing it. And the more you do it, the more you can do it. I think one of the things that plagues a lot of people is the idea that they really think they can work on multiple tasks at one time. But you do talk about the science behind multitasking and how we might think we're accomplishing more, but really we're not. Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh, this is a big, big, big symptom of persuasive design. Essentially, the more that we use tech, the more like as you described, you know, the more you reach for your phone and open all these apps, it's a symptom of the design techniques that's essentially pulling you in. And it's not just the design techniques. I also want to be really clear. This is a real bona fide addiction, right? So every time that you do those things, when someone says we're designing minds, essentially what they're doing is they're doing it through chemistry, internal chemistry and and through neurochemicals and, and, and all of these things that your body releases as you're feeling, as you're doing all of these things. And so your body starts to crave that more and more. And when your body craves that, the devices and the apps are winning. So like any kind of substance abuse, that addiction is something that you have to combat, not just by digital detox, but literally rewiring your brain and also your body to 
harmonize in a much more beneficial way to you. So multitasking essentially is what happens when your body and your mind runs amok with all of these chemicals. You're just moving around all the time. If you think about like at your worst, and I can tell you at my worst, when somebody would always ask, hey, how you doing? You know, even it's just a friendly, friendly question. The answer was always, oh my God, busy. Oh, and then like the usual response was, yeah, same. And multitasking is just sort of a way of living life we think we can do all of these things because our body and our brains have learned to speed up to try to keep up with all these things, but we're not actually multitasking. We're what's called task switching. And every time you switch a task, whether it's in work or you reach for your device or you get a text message or whatever it is, you're expending essentially fuel that switches the task, let alone tries to accomplish the task. And so as you do this, you only have so much fuel and your brain is probably at its best in the morning, which is why sleep is so important. But say towards the middle of the day and the end of the day, even though you're switching tasks and you feel like you're doing things, the truth is, is that you're minimally addressing your potentiality in those moments. You're not giving the best of yourself to anything or anyone. So the quality, the caliber, and the depth of anything that you do as you're multitasking is at best, you know, okay. And the challenge is, is that we think it's great because everything about us, call us accidental narcissists, everything about our relationship with technology tells us we're great. We could get anything we want. We could feel any way we want. And so we fool ourselves into believing that just simply accomplishing the task is actually greatness. When in fact, if we gave a single moment, our single attention, then we learn how to be more creative, more original, and deeper in not just those moments, but to the outcomes of those moments. So whether it's work or whether it's art or whether it's a personal relationship, that's a big part of life scaling. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. 
It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'll be honest, I have known that multitasking is pretty detrimental for quite a while. Like, I know that I'm not going to accomplish things nearly as well. But what I didn't realize and what helped me to justify continuing to do it every now and then was that I didn't realize that it actually lowers your IQ. That blew my mind. Oh, my goodness. You know, this is one of those things that I hope... I didn't want to spend the, the whole book being super negative and, <laughs> and like, oh my gosh, you know what's happening to you. We're all going to um, die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I really only wanted to spend a couple of chapters on the blow your mind. So you're like either inspired to change your life or scared shitless to, to change your life. But that is one of the things that multitasking does to you. Lowering your IQ is just the beginning. It affects your memory. It causes stress and anxiety. Studies show that it is hazardous to your health because you're flowing all of these toxic chemicals in your body so, so, so quickly and so greatly. There are MRIs that show that you're literally thinning out your cerebral cortex. So, yeah. It's none of this is any good. And the problem is, is that it's so normal and it's and it's only continuing to be so normal that it is normal. I, I want to introduce a couple other things, too. It's not just that. It's also how it makes you feel about yourself. So we subconsciously have lower self-esteem. We question uh, ourselves. We, we we have greater self-doubt. In some cases, it stokes depression. In other cases, it is full-on raging depression. You know, the link to suicide is there. So none of this is <laughs> none of this is any good. And while I don't want to be, you know, Debbie Downer, 
I do want to raise the attention so that as individuals, we can make choices about what's important to us. We don't have to live life to the standards of someone else's happiness or to the standards of someone else's definition of success. We don't have to live life thinking that someone else's like or validation around something that we share is what defines us. None of that is what matters. What what matters is what we say matters and not who we express ourselves in the moment to be, but who we ultimately want to be and do those things to become that person. And then let everyone else appreciate how we got there, that we lead by example, and that we don't fall to any of these routines that were defined by someone else. Yeah, I think a huge part of my own transformation journey was in realizing that the reason I was so unhappy is because I had never taken the time to understand myself well enough to know how to fulfill myself and to know what would make me personally happy. And so, so many of us go around thinking that there are these just things that are supposed to make everyone happy. Money, a big house, a fancy car, you know, a skinny waist, like all these things that it seems like we're all striving for. And we don't realize that that is not the key to happiness. We have individual needs for our own happiness and we have to take the time to actually drill down and figure those things out about ourselves, but we have to be able to concentrate long enough to do that. So it's kind of this catch 22. (laughs) You just nailed it. That is the the hardest part, but that's also the hack. That's also the, the, not hack is not the right word. It's also the spark. I didn't know this going into it, but I definitely know this now after having the book out for a couple of months, I realized what it had become for me and what I hope it becomes for others is actually that moment when you you realize that you have in your hands an operating manual for life in this world as it is today and all of its chaos and also how you're going to tame that chaos and move life or move in life in ways that are intentional and beneficial. And the reason for that is profound in that we are the first generation, and I don't mean generation by age, I just mean generations of all of these five living generations together, to have to deal with this level of essentially psychological and emotional warfare that was placed upon us without our real consent. And even though there's been technology that has changed the world, going back to the beginning of time, it's never been like this, right? We have been rewired without our choice in the matter. And it's not as simple as, hey, I'll just rewire myself back. It's actually understanding that this is a gift in life and a gift in the moment for you to change the course of the future. As if the future is a verb, the future is yours to define, and it's your opportunity. This is why it's a gift. It's your opportunity to define it on your terms, right? So because we've lived our life to the standards of happiness and success of others, those definitions have passed down for generations and generations and generations, yet we're all dealing with technology in our own way. So you have some who remember what analog was like before and that struggle of living this new life versus that old life. And then you have others who only know this. And so not only is this normal, but 
anxiety, self-esteem issues, the chemistry issues, that is also normal. So to them, that's just how they feel they're supposed to feel and supposed to act. And so you have this gap between those two or this divide between the two. And your life scale journey is going to be yours based on hopefully someone in your life at least getting enough of your attention to realize that there could be something more, something great, something deeper, something happier, something with more potential. And that that's one of the reasons why I realized that just having the book wasn't going to be good enough, that now I'm building out course programs for teachers and also for parents and, and also for coaches so that in their work, they can actually have the opportunity to make greater impacts and help guide and steer people to take control in ways that, you know, if you don't know you have a problem, then you're probably not going to be looking for this book. So I can have hopefully a, a better effect on doing my part to help society. Okay, friends, we need to address an underlying factor in all of this. Yes, we may have all been manipulated by technology in one way or another, but there's a deeper root there. Oftentimes, the reason that we are so prone to seek outside of ourselves or to reach for the thing that's going to numb us or that we don't want to sit alone with our thoughts is because we have a lot of shit mulling around in there that we don't want to deal with. And for some of us, the idea of freeing up this time that we're normally numbing through social media and other avenues of technology is that then we have to deal with the feelings that are coming up. And how do we do that if we aren't prepared for it? One thing to understand is that dealing with your stuff doesn't always mean going back into the past and digging up all this old crap that's weighing you down. Instead of focusing on the things we're already trying to avoid, why don't we just refocus our attention to what we want to become or what we want to achieve? That's why it's so important to define your values and start to figure out your purpose. And I know I've shared this before, it doesn't have to be your big life purpose, but what you really want to be known for in this life, the things that hold true, the things that you wanna help define you. Once you'll do that, it'll feel like you have guideposts steering you in the right direction. You'll have an easier time making decisions faster. You'll have an easier time saying no to things because you'll know that if it's not in alignment with these things that you've already taken the time to lay out, then maybe it's not worth your time. And I understand that some of us have a harder time than others being alone with our thoughts. I've been there, I get it. And I remember being there and thinking, gosh, all these crazy people and their positive thinking, that shit doesn't work, you're just fooling yourselves. But here's the thing, positive thinking isn't about just pretending everything's fine when it's not. It's about accepting both the positive and the negative and integrating it into your life and deciding to be at least generally optimistic anyways. It's about what you do with your problems and what you're going to do moving forward. Negative thinking is believing that you're never going to get out of these feelings right here, right now. This is just life and it's never going to get better. Positive thinking realizes that yes, you might be down right now, or yes, you might be going through the most challenging 
time in your life, but there are steps to get through it and ultimately you have control about how your life ends up. You might not have control about every little circumstance, but you have control about how you react to those circumstances. And finally, take the time to start visualizing the life that you want. I know we hear a lot about manifesting and visualizing the outcome over and over again until it starts to feel real and it starts to manifest itself into your reality. Yes, and also visualize the process because you can't manifest an outcome without meeting it in the middle by taking the actions to get there. Visualize the outcome, visualize the steps that it's going to take to get there, and then start doing. When you really start taking conscious control over your tech addiction or being honest with yourself about how much time you're spending with technology, you're going to have a lot of free time that opens up. And it's really helpful if you have replacements for this time, because otherwise you'll just be sitting around wondering what to do. And chances are you'll revert back to scrolling through your phone. So instead, spend some time laying out some alternative activities like being in the sun, taking a walk, reading a book, journaling, have some journaling prompts ready, have your book out, make it as easy as possible. So it's just as easy to grab these alternative activities as it is to reach for your phone. I saw a video about a year ago about the importance of boredom for creativity. And creativity is actually one of the things that we lose when we're constantly distracted is our creativity. Because a lot of times that creativity comes at moments of what we might perceive as boredom. And I think right now in society, we've kind of forgotten how to be bored. Like you used to go to an amusement park or something like that, and you'd see everyone in line talking to each other because it's like a two to three hour line at Disneyland. And now most people are sitting there on their phones, even if they have kids, which is so sad when you think about it. But if we're not allowing ourselves to find these moments of stillness to where our brain kind of just starts going off on a tangent of its own, how are we ever going to come up with creative ideas? And I know creativity was a big focus on what you were saying that we need to regain. So what are some of the ways that you've been able to kind of hack into that creative side of your brain? I love that you brought this up, especially Disneyland, because I'm a big Disney geek. Creativity is directly linked to happiness. And creativity is also directly linked, or it's a key pillar of innovation. This is a time, and I'll sort of explain some of the things or some of the tricks to get you at least on the right path. But I want to take a moment to talk about creativity just in general. There's two types of creativity I talk about in the book. There's little C and there's big C creativity. Big C creativity is the, you know, the Mozarts or the Rembrandts of the world. Little C is the everyday acts of expressing creativity. Even if you're not an artist or a lyricist or poet or a musician, just the acts of expressing creativity are so healthy for just all of who we are. And that creativity is so important today because of things like, and not to freak people out, but, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning is already starting to take everyday white collar jobs. And we don't even realize it yet. Like, so for example, one of the biggest industries hit by it that (laughs) 
I'm surprised this is a bigger news, is radiology. If you're a radiologist, you better find a new job. The automation revolution is already underway, and that means that we have all of those generations of folks that are living and working today that are essentially going to be outdated. If you think about sort of the conversation of if you had two horses that were talking during the dawn of the the automotive revolution saying, oh, you know, cars are coming and we should be worried that we're going to have to find new jobs. But ultimately, cars are going to make more jobs for horses. No, not really. You're going to have to find something new to do. And that's what's so hard. Creativity is, though, the source of what helps you, whether you train or you retrain your brain or you learn a new skill or that creativity is going to be so important because Technically, the machines aren't as creative as we can be. The hard part about that is that we think we are all creative, then we're not as creative as we could be. And that is also an effect of technology's relationship with us is that we have access to filters. We have access to all kinds of different things that make us look younger, make us look older, make us look uh, fancier. We have essentially props everywhere around us now in the physical world that are essentially Instagrammable places so that we can express ourselves with a pair of wings behind us. That is normal. That's what everybody's doing. So we have this illusion of creativity and expression. So that's why creativity is really important in the acts. Like, so simple things like, uh, there's a coloring revolution happening in the adult world. There's, if you take a, if you're right-handed and you take a pen and you try to write your name with your left hand, if you sing, if you learn to dance in senior living facilities, when they teach people how to dance or even paint, regardless of how horrible they dance or how horrible they paint, it has incredible health benefits that they're already starting to find. So just those acts of creativity help us, but more importantly in our work and in our lives, they, are that's going to be the key that sort of ensures our value in the workplace too. What's crazy is I'm sure most of us have heard about how the school system essentially kills creativity. A lot of our programs for education were designed to keep people in line and make them be the everyday worker nine to five, checking off tasks. And it's crazy considering that those are the very jobs that are most likely to be taken over by AI and automation because they're not, those are the completely replicable things. So I wonder how long it's going to take to completely revamp the school system to keep up with modern times. Oh, yeah. I think I could feel my heart racing as you were just talking. I talk about the education system in the book and how we were sort of stripped away or how creativity was stripped away. If you get a chance uh, as you're listening to this, go on Vimeo or YouTube and look up a video called Alike. And it's a powerful and moving cartoon, a short, a short film of the relationship between a father and a son and, and the important role that creativity plays in our life. And at a couple of presentations I gave one at, um, at South by Southwest to launch the book, I started the presentation with that video. I got to tell you that before I walked out on stage, I was I was backstage bawling my eyes out and trying to get it together because it, it reminded me of myself. I was creative as a child and it just got stripped out of and I let it 
and I never tried to chase it back. But yeah, the, the education system is is one built upon linear thinking, but it's also based upon the processes and the discipline that go back decades and decades and decades, which there are good aspects to it as well. But essentially what you have is a modified brain today, right? And it's been modified for all of the reasons we've been discussing. And so you're taking these analog formats and trying to, to shape this already rewired brain and it's it's misfiring it's not working at all the way that we think it is you look at politics and we strip away funding for education or we don't think about it as in in terms of a sense of urgency of needing great innovation but it absolutely does and so this is why if you're a manager uh, or an executive or if you're a parent or if you're an aunt or you're an uncle or you're a big brother big sister or a mentor, this is where you can make an impact. That if the education system is failing us, then you have to help those around you, which is one of the reasons why I'm so, so, so inspired to create these programs to help open minds in new ways to help usher in creativity and new ways of learning that are going to help us not just fight the machines, but be our best possible selves. Definitely. And, you know, the last thing I want to touch on, because I think it's so important for anyone who's trying to be more effective, efficient, create something in this world, is the idea of deep work, which I think so many of us have lost. It's we don't even know how to focus on one task for longer than a couple of minutes. I was reading something about how our attention span keeps shrinking, but I don't think that's necessarily the case because just in the last week, I really, in the beginning, like I said, I had this weird dark night of the soul. I was getting all these visualizations about how I was wasting my life. It was so strange, but I really feel like it was the universe just pushing me to take an action. And from the very next day, everything was different. And by the end of the day, I could already feel the changes in my brain, which was really the most mind-blowing part for me because most addictions take so much longer for you to start feeling the benefits. So can you tell us a little bit about what deep work is and why it's important? Yeah. In fact, I read a great book called Deep Work by an author named, and also a professor named Cal Newport. Deep work is allowing yourself to get into the flow. And that flow state is, say, when someone's giving an, an incredible performance or someone's painting or someone's surfing a big wave, those flow moments are transcendent and you are in this whole different place that allows you to be a superhero or a superstar or just this, this alternate version of you that's greater than you can even imagine. So giving yourself the space for deep work, for example, like writing a book, distraction-free, you create something. So for example, if you don't practice deep work and you try to write a book, and then you do practice deep work and you try to write a book, you can get two very different books out of it. So the importance of that discipline to get you there, but also the permission of giving you yourself the space and time to do it. There's all kinds of different ways to pursue deep work. For example, one that I pursued was allocating my days so that I could completely focus 100% on that deeper creative task at hand and then using the rest of the afternoon for other things like email and maybe social media, what have you. And then also putting myself in a place that was was free of all kinds of other distractions. So like friends or, uh, I mean, I hate to say this, family, just so that I could be in that that space to allow myself to get to places I wouldn't be or wouldn't have had access to otherwise. So 
deep work is sort of this essentially allowing yourself the space to get into the flow. And the flow has great benefits as well, because the more you do it, the better you get at it. And the better you get at it, the more creative you can actually become. I'll give you a quick example. When I, when I started writing the book, it was slow going. When I was finished with the book, I was in so many cases of flow and getting better and getting better and better and better at it as time went on. I ended up writing 105,000 words. The book is 50,000 words. So we had to cut 55,000 words. I just didn't want to stop. I was in love with the entire process. I was alive in ways that I hadn't, hadn't, one, hadn't felt in a long time, but also alive in ways I'd never felt. So when I finished the book, I went back and then designed the book to sort of essentially be a positive app uh, and a positive analog app that I don't know where you know that idea would have come from otherwise but it was because of that flow state and practicing that flow state and so deep work is just sort of another another term for allowing yourself access to achieve flow well thank you so much for everything that you shared with us today and really for being such a positive catalyst in my own life right when I needed it. So I'm sure a lot of other people are resonating because I've been sharing on social media, on Instagram, actually, just the things that have been unlocking in my brain since beginning the process of being more conscious about my tech use. So I'm sure so many other people needed this message just as much as I did. So for listeners who are resonating, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? First, thank you, Melissa. Just hearing the passion that you have in your voice is incredibly inspiring. I had goosebumps many, many, many times during our, our conversation. So thank you for that. And for those who want to reach out, my site is briansolis.com. And I think I'm at Brian Solis on all of the networks. And LifeScale, you could find on Amazon or a bookstore near you. And that website is lifescaling.me. And there you you can register for more information around if you want to be a coach or if you want to teach LifeScaling, uh, or if you want to be a student, all of that information is there. Okay, friends, I promised you some free tools and tips, and I'm also going to link to these in the show notes at mindlove.com slash 091. So no need to start writing this down if you're driving, just head to the show notes and there'll be a nice handy little list for you right there. First of all, I am obsessed with the app Forest. What's really cool about Forest is it combines two different things. It's kind of a phone blocker and also the Pomodoro technique, which is where you set sprints for work. Well, basically, when you launch the Forest app, what you're able to do is you set a length of time where it starts growing a digital tree. And if you exit out of the app, the tree dies. So there's something in us that wants to keep this tree growing. And it's a great reminder because you will realize, even when you're trying to be intentional about it, how often you subconsciously reach for your phone without even realizing that you're doing it. So when you reach for your phone and you pick it up and you realize there's a little tree growing right there, then it can be a real motivator to put that back down and let it continue to grow for the length of time that you set it for. And what's great is you can set it for the amount of time that you want to work in a sprint. So start out with 25 minutes and move up from there. I've been setting it for the longest length of time, which is two hours, just because I want to check my phone as little as possible. And I know if something's really that important, I can just check my desktop. What I've found is that even if I'm not being as hard on myself with the desktop applications and social media platforms, 
I am less likely to sit there and toggle through mindlessly. So I have other tools for the desktop that help make sure of this. The next tool is Newsfeed Eradicator. I have to be on Facebook every now and then for my business. So I don't want to completely block out that website, but I don't want to get sucked into scrolling through the newsfeed. So what happens with Newsfeed Eradicator is when you go to Facebook, your newsfeed is just gone and instead there's an inspirational quote. You can still check your groups or your pages that you need to maintain and even your notifications, but it won't put up a feed of everyone else's lives that you accidentally just start mindlessly scrolling through. So it's really, really helpful. And the last tool is Site Blocker. This is if you want to get more intense about everything and block all social media from your web browser when you're trying to get work done. This can be really helpful if you're trying to write or something along those lines. All you do is add the extension to whatever browser you're using and add the URLs of the websites that you want to block. Common ones are Facebook, Twitter, sometimes I have to do product hunt, you know, anything that accidentally captures your attention when it's not moving you forward in the ways that you're trying to intentionally define. Now, some other tricks are setting alarms on your phone. So I try to minimize my time on social media to 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. So those are the times that I was actually allowed to check social media on my phone. This is going to be helpful for you to not be so tempted to check your phone at random times because you know that there's already defined time that you're able to do that. And what's cool is you can use this trick in conjunction with the trick that we learned last episode. So when the alarm goes off and you know that you are free to check social media, also use that alarm to check yourself and see what you're currently focusing on. It starts to bring more awareness on the amount of times that our minds wander to things that we don't want to be spending our time and attention on. And the last trick is keep a notebook handy, like an actual pen and paper in your purse, in your pocket, wherever you need to, because I can't tell you how many times I've had some random thought that may or may not be important. And so I go to my phone to Google it. And next thing I know, I'm down the rabbit hole again. So currently I'm making it a habit to just jot down these thoughts or the things I want to Google or the tasks I want to be reminded of. And that way later on, when I'm ready to sit there and process, it, I can choose the things that are actually worthy of my time rather than just letting whatever thought pops into my head direct my attention and pull me out of the present moment. So your challenge for this week is to really take control of your tech usage and take back your time. You will be amazed at how lighter you feel and how much more open and in control of your life you feel when you start to do this. So I know you all have a ton of friends who need to hear this episode. So please share it on social media, send it to a friend, tell a coworker about it. Heck, tell your boss to make your whole company listen to it because I know that this can really have powerful effects on the way we work and live. And of course, don't forget to tag Mind Love Melissa or Mind Love Podcast or both. I'm actually going to be adding some more tips that I've been discovering along this journey of reclaiming my productivity on Instagram this week. So don't forget to connect with me there and actually changing the way your brain works. So if this episode was helpful for you, please leave a review on iTunes. It means a ton. And otherwise, thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for 